Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I have an exciting lineup for you this week. There's so much going on in the news, and I decided I wanted to have one of my best friends in my head come on this week and talk with me about some of the crazy things that have been happening in the news. So I called up Candace Binbo. She's a writer and public theologian. She is the creator of the Lemonade Syllabus, the Viral Essay 443, and Red Lip Theology. <laughs> I'll tell you why she's my best friend in my head. People often tell me when something crazy happens, they run to my page to see what my thoughts are. When something crazy happens, especially if there's a hint of sexism involved, all the better if there's religion involved. Candace is one of the first pages that I head to. I love the way she thinks. I love the way she writes. In the same way that people say to me, you write the thoughts in my head in a way that makes sense. That's how I feel about Candace. She makes me want to burn my notebook. Please tell me you know where that line is from. Tell me you know. Love Jones. Anyway, Candace is an absolute treat. I'm so excited to have her here today. And we're going to get right into our conversation after a quick word from this week's sponsor. Introducing the all-new and totally reimagined 2020 Ford Explorer. It's built for modern exploration, whether venturing across country or simply across town, over various terrains or through rough weather, it's all good. The Ford Explorer is specifically designed for comfort, confidence, and a whole lot of style. Ready to explore more? The 2020 Ford Explorer, the greatest exploration vehicle of all time. Built Ford Proud. Without further delay, Candace Benbo. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I have absolutely been looking forward to this conversation Me for like too. weeks and weeks. I'm really excited. There's so much Christian, yeah. perverted Christianity related right. in the news <laughs> right now. And I was like, you know how I feel about you and your girl unfit Christian. Right. Like, whenever anything happens, I'm like, what they saying about it? I'm very pleased to have you on Ratchet and Respectable. I have questions. I want to talk about, obviously, Kanye West. I want to talk about Fantasia and Submission. I want to talk about (laughs) that laugh. Exactly. I want to talk about Erica Campbell and this married couple shouldn't masturbate and soul ties. But before I do that, can I ask you to tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Born and raised in the church in North Carolina, went to Tennessee State University and had every intention to be an attorney. I went in a different direction thanks to LSAT scores and really began to pursue like this career in the academy. I initially wanted to just be a sociology professor and really just went into the sociology of religion and was like, well, I'm not called to preach and I don't have to be ordained, but I'll just write about and teach about what the church should be thinking about. And the more that I went that route, uh, the more I began to feel this real tug at seminary and writing in public space to think through what it means for Black women who are faith-filled Black women to have a faith and a feminism that have synergy and allow us to really live into freedom. 
I went to seminaries, began to like write in public space, developed kind of this like movement of mine called Red Lip Theology. And now my work as a writer and as a public theologian really is at this intersection of Black women's faith experiences and pop culture, right? And and much more broadly than that, really kind of trying to make us think through what faith means to Black women, what that faith teaches us about the world around us, and what the world around us thinks about Black women according to their faith. And how do we have much more freer and much more uplifting opportunities and means to understand who God is and who we are to each other. That sounds completely awesome. That (laughs) also sounds like a completely uphill battle. (laughs) Oh, it definitely is. I think what is difficult is that we don't, we have never known in this world what to do with free thinking Black women. We definitely don't know what to do with free-thinking Black women who ground that in a particular articulation of faith that then says that, like, not only am I free, not only am I a Black woman, but I'm a free Black woman in the context of who God created me to be and nothing that you are going to do to buy me is going to stick. And unfortunately... In church spaces, that's the first place where you meet the greatest amount of resistance there. In ways that Black folk who who are fighting for racial justice get the ugliness of non-Black people who don't want you to call them on their racism. I get, and so many of us get, this ugliness from the church, from people who are like, no, I like my God the way that I've always known my God, and whatever you're talking about is just not true. It does get exhausting, but I think that what I have learned is that for for other people who are like, this is wrong, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, there are so many sisters and so many others, so many brothers, so many kin who come to me and are like, this is, I'm, I'm glad I'm not thinking about myself in this. I'm glad I'm not alone in this. And finding kind of your tribe and your community that help you to really think through these things is really important. It has been life-saving for me. I find that, A lot of people, as you point out, are really struggling with their role with religion, not necessarily with God per se, but with religion. And I'll tell you just based on my numbers that the last interview I did with Unfit Christian is Mm -hmm. my highest podcast episode to date. I think it's a testament to her dopeness, of course, but also to this conversation that we're about to have today is a lot of people are struggling with with the Black church, you know, what they've been taught versus what they go out into the world and find. When people begin to actually interrogate their beliefs, sometimes they find that what they've been taught doesn't line up with what they now know to be true. So a lot of people are struggling with that. So I'm, I'm glad that you have your platform to hash out some of these issues very publicly. I think that our generation, whether millennials, whether late Gen Xers, Xennials, 
we were always different. <laughs> and so pushing to have different conversations, pushing the envelope, whether it's hip hop culture, musically, creatively. Um, so you have that going on, which meant that there were always going to be questions, always going to be um, ways that we were going to push and expand conversations. And then at the same time, as we have gotten older and life has happened in a myriad of different ways, we have learned that what we have been given does not always speak to the reality of our circumstances. That's been the case throughout generations, right? But there has also been this this push that you don't question faith. You don't question your religious leaders. You just, you kind of grin and bear it and, and kind of internalize the disconnect as something wrong with you. And we're in a moment where we're like, nah, like that's actually not the case. There are faith leaders that, take advantage of us, and there are doctrines and theologies that have done us harm. I think that we we are hungry and thirsty for people to just be honest about what the faith walk really is and to not be prescriptive in ways that are just dishonest. Speaking of faith leaders, Kanye West has been doing a series of Sunday services, mostly gospel music. He's inviting people to have a quote and unquote spiritual experience. I guess it was in Salt Lake City, Utah, which I was like, okay, Kanye, that's an interesting place. 10,000 people showed up and he proceeded to go on a rant talking about politics. He's back on that Trump thing again. He's talking about how Republicans freed the slaves because Lincoln was one. He's leaving out a lot of history about how, you know, Republicans and Democrats sort of switch perspectives. I'll start very broad. What do you make of Kanye West's Sunday services? So very broadly, they're extremely ego-driven. This is Kanye. And I don't think that anybody loves Kanye more than Kanye loves himself in a very arrogant way way that we've always known of him. There was actually an interview where he was like, yeah, I've always wanted to open my own church. And it wasn't about like this call to to pastor, this call to lead, this call to shepherd folks, but it was like, I want my own thing. So on one hand, there had, and there's a, a sister who writes, I can't think of her name, uh, but she wrote a piece for Vibe, and it was about the relationship between high religiosity and bipolar disorder. A part of what I think is going on with Kanye and truly believe is going on with Kanye is that Kanye is unwell. So he has told us in more times than not that that he has been diagnosed and refuses to take medicine because it messes with creative mood. And I think that that is something that is very serious to take, um, to take very seriously because so many studies have already talked about um, this relationship between high religiosity increase and fierce religiosity and kind of these manic episodes. And at the same time, right, there is the truth that Kanye knows exactly what he's doing. You can have this this moment in Salt Lake City that 
ironically enough, didn't take place at Greater Allen in New York, that didn't take place at Friendship, at Fellowship Chicago in Chicago, and that didn't take place in New Birth in Atlanta, right? That, that he goes to these prominent Black churches and tells them, oh, you know, I... I was chasing platinum. I was chasing number one hits. I was chasing money and was losing my soul. And the church goes up because we know that, unfortunately, the quickest way to get Black folks to forget that you have done something ridiculous or said something ridiculous is to put Jesus in it some kind of way. You have this moment where... He is leaning into all of these tropes around Black religious emotion and Black religious expression to kind of reclaim what he lost when he initially came out as a Trump supporter and said that slavery was a choice. And so he goes on this like little tour um, for his Sunday services, which are really concerts, and goes in Black church spaces and says none of what he said in Salt Lake City. So then he gets to this massive white space where the crowd is huge and largely uh, and predominantly white and spews absolute nonsense. And when I saw it, to be honest with you, the first thing I said was, I hope every Black pastor who gave him access to their congregation and every black pastor who told all of us that we were wrong for critiquing it feel stupid. He played them. The reality is that more than likely they won't feel, they won't feel as ridiculous as they should be because we know that black church is the, the primary and only space that black men who have been utterly and totally ridiculous can come and be redeemed. Whether you have been caught doing anything, the first place you go is the Black church. All you got to do is either sing a song, pray or cry as a Black man and say that God is working on you and have no scripture, somehow tie it to either David or Jesus, and everyone will welcome you with open arms. Sisters can't get that same love. The likelihood of... Black women being able to do what Kanye has done in these major churches, they wouldn't let me come up there. They wouldn't let you go and do those kind of things. Like, we got to go and jump through 10 different hoops to prove that we've been called in a way that just that that they don't have to. Is this the beginning of Kanye as a cult leader? You know, so many people have said that, and I just, I don't think it is. I don't think that he's trying to start a cult. He wanted to be embraced back into Black spaces. He wanted people who had talked about him in Black space to stop talking about him. And then he also still wanted this affinity for whiteness to be able to uh, to be sustained. I don't I don't see him wanting to ever be a Koresh. I just think that he wants people to just look at him. And whatever way that he can be in spotlight, um, whatever for all of the wrong reasons, because he still didn't get an album. Um, but whatever whatever way he can be in the spotlight and have people talking about him, I think he thrives on that in ways that are just deeply unhealthy that that make me really question who his friends are, as long as we continue to give him the label of genius, 
and excuse the foolishness he does under that kind of banner, folks going to love whatever he does. And that's the scary part. Is it at all possible that Kanye is for real, for real about this? I ask that because he's always had religious leanings in his music. Mm -hmm. The first album, you get Jesus Walks. The Life right. of Pablo, you get Kirk Franklin on Father Stretch, I Stretch My Hand to Thee. He's had some Jesus affiliations over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, is it possible that it's just heightened after, I guess, being bi- diagnosed with, di- with uh, bipolar disorder, being hospitalized for bipolar disorder? Is it possible that he's come close to the brink and has found Jesus and this is his expression of that? No, um, because... You're like, no, be serious, Dimitri. I see you reaching. No. Okay, tell me why. No, I, I mean, because because none of it is consistent with that. This is all of, all of the ways to say, look at me, see me, and not one that is consistently about, I was at the brink, and here comes God bringing me back. And part of it is, too, is just the manipulation of the Salt Lake City moment compared to the other moments that he has had in our communities and in our churches, right? These are two different Kanye's. Like you get this, I'm this broken vessel that that was arrogant and God had to piece me back together, which I do believe he believes and that he can recognize. And then in Salt Lake City, it's I'm smart and the other Black people are just, are being sheep and they're just being stupid and I'm not going to be one of those kind of black folk. There's something about when you have, there are two things. One, anybody raised in the church and Kanye was, we know church speak, right? We know what to say, when to say it, how to say it in order to get what we need to get in certain spaces. And then at the same time, there is the truth that anything that is deeply grounded in in a kind of uh, impetus to show people God's love, to show people God's overwhelming capacity of God to redeem and God to love, that message is going to be consistent across the board. And we just haven't seen that in this. It's a dope concert. It's not anything new. This kind of music has been around even before Kurt. Like, people who who dabbled in bringing other genres into gospel have long been criticized. That's been something that's a staple in gospel music. I know that he loves God. I believe he loves God. I believe that he thinks that God has saved and continues to save his life. And at the same time, I believe that he knows exactly what he's doing regarding these Sunday services. And it ain't rooted in nothing about God. Is it promo for the new album, which was supposed to drop two weeks ago, but hasn't seen the light of day? I've heard that it is an actual album. I've heard that it is a studio stint, like it is a, a visual album. I don't know what is going I, And I've heard it also doesn't exist. I, I don't know what he's doing. I want him to be well because he does not seem that. If he comes back from a heel place, and I, and I say that if I am someone who lives with a depressive condition and had a had a really difficult period of time in which that that was heightened. I can look back on that now 
and even in the moment and know when I was not well. Like I knew I knew then I wasn't well and I can look back now and look at decisions that I made. Like, yeah, I was who I was a mess then. If he came back a year from now and was like, no, I still want to do Jesus is King and I still want to do these Sunday services. And it came from a place where he was really healthy and well. That's a completely different conversation that's grounded in something much more than than what we're seeing now. More importantly, it would be grounded in his health and his wellness. And we just don't see that from him. Can we move on to Eric mm-hmm. Campbell? Oh, yes. Erica. <laughs> well, let me recap it for people who may not have been paying attention. Erica Campbell is promoting a new book and she went on The Breakfast Club as part of her promo tour. And in said conversation, she said two things that people found very disturbing. One was she didn't think married couples should masturbate. She thinks the act of sex, the act of, of having an orgasm is something sacred the exact word that she used, and that you should rely on your partner um, solely for your sexual needs. The other thing that she said that drew a lot of conversation was she talked about soul ties, but it seemed that she only referred to them in the the sexual sense. My understanding of what a soul tie is, is that it can be romantic, it can be sexual, it can also be between friends and family members. But she tied that in with a reasoning that women should not have too much sex or too many sexual partners before they get married. Because what if you have sex with one person and that sex is good, but then you get married to someone and that sex is not as good or that sex is different. And then you won't be satisfied with your husband's sex because you've experienced too much. And I was like, wait, what? The first thing I want to ask you, because we could dissect this on so many different levels. What are your thoughts about only masturbation for married couples? Is that in the, is this biblical? Like, where is this coming from? From what I understood, her point too is that masturbation for single people is like completely off the table. That nothing about the act of like pleasuring yourself is holy. Part of that comes from people take the origin of that out of the, the particular biblical passage. There is a a story in the Old Testament where instead of impregnating this next person, this woman that would have continued their lineage, this man basically ejaculates into the ground and is, is killed. I mean, dies for it. And so people use that in church as like, I mean, I remember growing up hearing it like if you, if you masturbate, the moment that you have an orgasm and you're not with your husband or your wife, like all of the demons are coming to get you. It scared me because it's that's the point, right? <laughs> that like that this that this conversation around pleasuring yourself, any conversation around sex, is meant to deter you from doing it unless you're married. Why people feel the need to have any kind of conversation about folks sexual lives that do not haunt, do not put anyone in jeopardy uh, is beyond me. So she's talking about masturbation and the danger then becomes that 
we set up this precedent that it is sinful and nasty to know your own body. That here God gave you this body, the pleasure and the enjoyment of it in relation to physical intimacy is not yours. It is for someone else to help you enjoy. And to do that without a partner, a husband, particularly husband, because we never talk about these things in the context of men, but to do that without a husband, one is what's the purpose? Because our bodies are literally for the for the enjoyment of men and to reproduce their children. Like, I mean, she said as much when she was like, women receive the spirits, um, which is another thing that we heard so much is that like men are projectors and women are receptors. I remember sitting in church hearing that and it was because men ejaculate and women receive and they have, they receive and they have the baby. All of these conflations with scripture and bad science and medicine make for the purposes of scaring you into believing that you are not allowed to enjoy sexual intimacy. You have women who who are in spaces like Erica's particular the like apostolic and Pentecostal denominations that hammer soul ties, that hammer that if you have sex with all of these people, you're getting all of these people's spirits. Soul ties actually has no biblical justification. Like soul ties is a cultural ism that that people married with the scripture that the two become one flesh really the only scripture in which that you could really argue about the soul tie is where David and Jonathan where the scripture says that their souls were knitted together and they were friends there is not this justification biblically that says when you have sex with one person or with anybody that you receive the souls of everybody that they've had sex with and then everybody that they've had sex with. That doesn't even make sense. And for me, I believed it. I didn't hear about soul ties until I went to college. And I was actually a part of a church that was non-denominational that broke out of the Kojic church. And they were heavy on soul ties. It was hammered in us that when you have sex with a person, you receive the souls of all the people that they had sex with, and they receive the souls of all the people that you had sex with. And and that some of these soul ties are impossible to break. I believed it until it just didn't make sense. I remember asking the question, what about victims of sexual assault? I heard two different answers. From one pastor, I heard that God doesn't give them soul ties. And then another pastor told me, well, no, they do get soul ties and they just have to break them. On one hand, you get God who is gracious, quote unquote, enough to keep you from getting a soul tie, but not to save you from getting a soul tie, but not save you from the actual harm of the violence itself. And then you have a guy who's petty and mean enough to be like, well, no, you get a soul tie too, and you just need to break it. 
when that didn't make sense to me, I began to like really sit with, okay, well, what does it mean that they keep telling me that I got to do all of these extra steps to break soul ties? What does the blood do? <laughs> if we if we shout every Sunday that the blood literally breaks every chain, so why are you telling me I got to do all of these other steps to break these soul ties? It just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. What it does is it over spiritualizes these very human and very real responses to heartbreak that like when I've had sex with you, when the relationship is over, if I'm sad, if I'm depressed, if my heart has been broken and I'm crying, then instead of me being really honest and saying my heart is broken, I actually might be depressed about this. I can say, well, you know what? That was my fault because I shouldn't have slept with him. And that's, and that soul tie is what's got me, you know, messed up. Like, I remember having a conversation with a sister who was like, no, I know I got a soul tie because we were together for three years and we kept having sex and he cheated on me and he got this girl pregnant. And for six months after we broke up, I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. I was like, no, that's not a soul tie. You got your heart broke <laughs> and you were sad, right? Like, like it is okay for us to feel and have human reactions to things. And the kind of conversation around soul ties that makes absolutely no sense tries to scare us out of that. It scares us enough to where we we have boogeyman ideas around sex and we are in our 30s and 40s and 50s and think ridiculously when it comes to sex because we believe these things or it creates this kind of shame in us that we internalize our own heartbreak and our own emotion around the ending of a relationship to be our fault because we shouldn't have had sex. So when I heard what Erica had to say, I'm like, if this is what's in the book, how does this actually stand up to the very real realities of Black women today? Nothing about what you said on The Breakfast Club makes sense for women who are living today. We have studies that talk about the relationship between a lack of physical touch and a lack of intimacy and, and medical challenges, health challenges, whether they are emotional, whether they are physical, that are manifesting in people's lives. And, and that's a real health crisis to me. When medical communities can say to us that the lack of touch is really out here killing folks, that means that we need to have different conversations, especially when we know that the bulk of Christian Black women are single and not partners. We need to have different conversations about their bodies, about what pleasure, what joy, and what intimacy might need to look like that don't have to be steeped in the spookiness of if you sleep with somebody, you're going to wake up with a thousand people's souls, depending on how many people he slept with. There are conversations that we can have about sexual ethics, about sexual integrity, that are grounded in scripture, that are grounded in faith, 
that teach women, help women rather, help women understand how to love their bodies and love themselves that aren't harmful. Can I tell you that I was raised in the church. My grandfather's a pastor. I went to church every Sunday. I had the type of mom that if I went out Saturday night, that I was told that like, you know, you're going to church Mm -hmm. and you got time to party on Saturday. You got time for the Lord on Sunday. So like, Mm -hmm. like a churched environment. Never heard of soul ties until maybe like two years ago. It is in a very specific context. So I grew up Baptist. Baptist folks, they were, the pastors would preach all Sunday about stuff you weren't supposed to do. And everybody would amen knowing that they was doing it. In certain Pentecostal and apostolic spaces, particularly holiness and, and many like Kojic spaces, the conversations around soul ties were really, uh, were much more prevalent. They were always tied to your virtue. These kinds of conversations don't allow for you to be seen as, for as a woman, to be seen as anything else other than somebody who is holding their virginity. You would have hoped that the older we've gotten, the more information that's out there, our conversations would have, shifted away from them. I was actually shocked that she said soul ties because I was, I really thought more of just where she was as um, somebody who has done a lot to stretch gospel and herself with I Love God, which I mean, I, I didn't really love that song, but like that song, the moment that she had with the white dress where she was confronted with having to really speak up around sex and, and sexuality and gospel music. I really thought that she, if anybody would be kind of at the fore of pushing different conversations, it could have been her, but you know, a lot of these, a lot of these ideologies die hard and people will, will cement around them. And when you try to say, okay, show me that in scripture. And then when they give you those scriptures and you're like, okay, that doesn't say that. Then it's a, no, well, it doesn't matter. This is what it is. And you're like, no, like that actually is not what this says. If soul ties exist, I believe that the the soul that that it is most prevalent in the parent child relationship that is those are the two relationships our our relationships with our fathers our relationships with our mothers that most shape who we are and I have I have a soul tie with two if if we want to say that with 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 certain friends where I know that um that they are as committed and knitted to my life as I am to theirs. I would love to have that experience with my partner. Do I have a soul tie with any of the Negroes that I was with before? No, because when, when it was over and I mourned and did what I needed to do, as soon as I got healthy to a point where I was able to say, all right, Whatever it was, it is no more. There's not a lingering to any of them in me now. I think that we just got to be really honest on how we talk about sex, that some of the stuff that we hear from Christians is just really, really stupid.
what you were saying about your parents makes total sense to me as like they're literally your creators. If your parents are active in your life, you've known them longer than you know any other person on earth. That makes sense to me. Describing your relationship with your friends who you feel like right. they were tied to. That makes sense to me because you've built a relationship over time, over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's not just based on, oh, we had sex a couple times or a few times. And that's what makes me tied to you. Like building a relationship with someone, sharing ideas and a life together over a period of time. That makes sense. But like, oh, we had sex, just just sex. And I'm now exactly. tied to you forever. For the rest of my life. And not only tied to you, I'm tied to people that All the you people. had sex with and they had sex with. And it's just like, it's just, God is, I sometimes I feel like God is looking at us like, I really gave y'all brains to do so much more with than what y'all are really doing. Yeah. And people believe in it very adamantly. When I was speaking about soul ties um, with people in the comments section, I mean, adamant, just adamant. And they were like, I don't understand how you don't understand. This is basic. And I was like, you're telling me that my soul is tied to my vagina and you don't understand why I don't understand? It makes no sense. None. You know what else doesn't make sense? Uh Uh-oh. People's obsession, a lot of people, and Christian, non-Christian, even people who ain't never been to church in a month of Sundays, love submission. And I went into it my, I guess, two podcasts ago when I talked about Fantasia Fantasia's comments, again, on The Breakfast Club, because they've been killing these interviews lately. Fantasia goes on The Breakfast Club, and she says that a man is to be head of household, and that's just the way it's supposed to be. What is it about submission that people are so obsessed by? I'm not going to even ask why men believe in submission, because that kind of makes sense to me, especially if you're an insecure man, you need to feel dominant of something. Right. women's obsession with submission? We have these romanticized notions of what real men are. And real men are these kind of brutes, take charge. I'm going to take care of you. You you wake up in the morning and you never have to worry about another thing. Because before you woke up, I took care of everything. Before you went to sleep, everything was taken care of. And these kinds of men who let God lead them and then they lead us are so attractive to us because they are not like the men that we have given our hearts to that trashed us and did us all kinds of ways that we will want to if they do what they are supposed to and lead the ways that they are supposed to lead why wouldn't you want to submit to a man like that it's theory that makes sense. You can't even say it without <laughs> laughing. You can't even say it without laughing. And I say this as somebody who I I ride for Fantasia. And I love her. And when her and her husband do their like relationship posts on IG, like I quickly scroll past them because Fantasia met and married her husband within three weeks. That is Something that any wise mama, grandma, auntie would say, don't do. And when people found out about that, of course, they hammered onto it. Because it wasn't just that she said, you know, this is what what it should be. She then went on to say that the reason why women can't find a good man is because they want to be the men and they don't know how to be women. They don't know how to let men lead. 
she did this move that so many church girls do when they get a man and when they get married is that they then become the ones who wag their fingers at everybody else and are like, see, the reason why you can't get nobody is because you don't know how to do so-and-so and such-and-such. And so many of us in church space hated that. And I know she hated it because I'm pretty sure that she heard it and she's talked about how she was mistreated in church and in in religious spaces and in religious communities for being a teen mom. And then the issue that she had with her son's father and that kind of very public whatever that was, right? That, That led her to a really dark place where she wanted to take her life. If anybody should be gracious to women, it should have been her. To make this moment where you can talk about your relationship, how much you love your husband, to make that moment then become, and the reason why none of y'all can't find one is because y'all don't know how to do this. It became really like, okay, so how, how do we now, how do we ever move to a place where Black women ever just get consoled and affirmed for just being that like sis I know you tried your best (laughs) like whatever whatever happened with you and dude I know you were trying it didn't work out hopefully the next time around if you open yourself up it will right that we never get to those moments because we always gotta find ways to make sisters feel like whoever they are whatever they have done is the problem Women, black women can't ever win. So in this moment where she creates this kind of like, this is why you are not getting mad. This is why you can't find a man. This is why you can't do such a such. People are like, well, wait a minute. You met your dude and married your dude in less time than it took you to get a full set and a fill-in, right? You have the people who are like, well, why are you submitting to a brother who, when they found his record who has a criminal record and can't pay his child support. We can never win when we come out and then pit ourselves against each other and say, this is the standard for what it means to be a godly woman. A godly woman submits to to her man. And when you say that, then everybody has the right to be like, well, sis, what kind of man are you submitting to? And even as he was trying to kind of say that it was a partnership and a dance, it was still steeped in this understanding of men having to lead. And as I follow Christ, she follows me. It became again about leadership. For whatever reason, church spaces will not allow for us to reimagine what relationship could look like if submission is not on the table. I don't submit. Or I remember I was dating a guy who um, thought it was cute to say, like, you need to obey me. That relationship didn't last long because those are not words that signal to me that you see me as an equal. Those are not words that signal to me that you recognize that in the same manner that God created you with the same intention and with the same care, God also created me. And God didn't make you to be more important than God made me. And that we can have an actual loving, 
healthy, vibrant relationship if we meet each other at the space where this is a partnership and a collaborative effort. We are two whole individuals who are trying to work together to make a life. And that actually takes more partnership and compromise than it takes submission. But again, when you see marriage as the prize, the ability to say, like, after all that I've been through, after all that the hell that these other dudes have taken me through, after all of the embarrassment that I've had in in relationships, somebody decided to marry me. If that is your thought process, then of course submission is going to be um, where you where you lay your hat and where you lay your head. But for people who are like, yeah, like, nah, I'm I was a fool before. I'm not a fool anymore. I did some dumb things before. I'm not gonna do those dumb things again. But I am a whole person who wants to date and partner with another whole person that is healthy, that is doing their own emotional work to be well, just as I am, then submission as a conversation, as a starting point, isn't even on the table. You know what's really interesting about the submission conversation? And again, I mentioned this when I talked about it on Instagram and in like the last podcast where I talked about it, was that I asked so many people, like, if you are married or you are in a relationship where you practice submission, what does submission actually look like for you? And people would write me these very, very detailed responses in which they basically described a partnership. Mm-hmm. Like, they described a dance. They described, they were like, well, really, for me, like, submission just means that I trust my husband to make decisions about X, Y, Z. And, but he doesn't just rule. He asks me, we have, we have conversations and opinions and, like, we make a decision together, but I submit to him. And I was like, what you're describing is a partnership. In a healthy mm-hmm. partnership, it sounds like. But why do you insist on calling it submission? And people were like, because I submit. I submit. I submit. And I just didn't get it. And I was like, are you, is it because you're not comfortable leading? You don't trust your mm-hmm. skills or you feel like in order to maintain this relationship, like you have to cater to his ego. Otherwise, it all falls apart. Like I, I wasn't raised to submit. I have a two parents who have been married. They just celebrated 43 years. My mother thinks the conversations about submission are hilarious. Part of it is just that this, that, that we have these very stringent and very unloving and ungracious views of what it means to be Christian men and Christian women. And particularly because we have understood Christian Christian women to be a certain kind of woman, this chaste, virtuous, holy, virginal, and so married kind of woman. Women who stepped out of that, who were not that when they were married, those tend to be the women who will hold on to submission more than any other kind of woman because when they see quote-unquote submitting to their husband as the penance that they will continue to pay for not being the woman that they should have been when their husbands got married. I work with sisters all the time, Dimitri, who talk about what they do in their relationships from this perspective of 
of literally earning God's like favor and earning God's approval because they weren't always the women that they that they should have been. And so submitting, using the language of submitting, being these kind of docile women in in layman's terms when they're really not. Is there a way or their framework to make sense of how God gave them the very thing that they were told they were never supposed to have? Instead of one, seeing the presence of this life that they have as evidence that everything that they were told before was BS, or, or two, seeing it and living through this lens of like deep gratitude and living out this love, they really see it from this deficit of I'm going to submit and I'm going to be this kind of wife to show God how grateful I am for the fact that he would even give this to somebody like me. Men never think that way. (laughs) Like They never never think that way. All right, my love. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us today. Isn't she the best? Candace makes me so goo gobs happy. I love when I meet people. We've actually met in person before, but it was just in passing. I love when I meet people and they exceed my expectations. So many times, like when you meet people who are like, oh, you're my bestie in my head. They not really like how you built them up to be. And I I say that knowing that somewhere there are people who say that about me, like, "Mm, sis, I met you. You didn't quite deliver. My bad. I have moods. I'm a cancer. And I'm not really working on it to just be 110% transparent. I've gotten a little better, but yeah, I am who I am. So that is our episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed Candace Benbow as much as I did. In the meantime... If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and the next episode, you can always follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. If you like what you heard today, leave me a review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on or hop in my DMs on Instagram. You can also visit my site, DemetriaLLucas.com. I put the podcast episodes there. So if you want to leave a comment there, you're welcome to do so. In the meantime, Talk soon. Thanks for listening, always. Okay, bye.